So today we're talking about future peace. Future peace. And so as I was doing this, I thought, well, maybe the future is fuzzy. Maybe for some people the future is kind of fuzzy. What's, what's out there in the future? When I think about it, I'm not quite sure because I've got all these different patterns running through my mind and it's just kind of fuzzy when I think about the future. Or maybe some people looking out at the future think the future is dark. I mean, it looks bleak. When I look at my finances, when I look at uh, my situation that I'm in right now, it just seems that the future is dark. And for some people, maybe it's really dark. It's a really dark future. Really dark. You know, there's a, an animated feature called um, The Swan Princess. Uh, it's the mystery of the Enchanted Kingdom. And I never saw it, but then uh, I heard about it. So I, I, went, I just did a search. Uh, this is Zelda, the villainous gloating song in which she cackles and prematurely celebrates victors, victory over the heroes. And this is what she says. There ain't nothing but bad days ahead. Ain't nothing but bad days ahead. So kiss out for your happiness. Bury your dreams. Embrace this new feeling of dread. There ain't nothing but bad days ahead. Can you imagine? <laughs> but I want to go to the next slide. Because I don't believe that. I believe the future's bright. Amen? We even have a T-shirt that says that. We have a T-shirt that says, the is that right? Future is bright. And, you know, I want to take it to another. How bright is the future? How bright is the future? How about it depends on how much future you have, how much future peace you have. Wow. You know, the word shalom is an amazing word. When you go to Israel, everyone speaks it there. It's shalom. It can, and let me give you a definition. It means peace, harmony, wholeness. It's a Hebrew word. It means completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. And it can be used idiomatically to mean both hello and goodbye. So people, when they see each other and they see, they go, shalom. In other words, they're speaking peace. And when they say goodbye, they go, shalom. It's like it's part of their language because they believe that peace is there. And so I wonder, what about the future? I wonder what about the future. Spiritual leaders are warning us about the future. I talked to one future leader recently, and they said, you know, I'm really concerned about where our country's going, about what's going to happen in the future. You know, let me just give you some predictions by famous people about the future. Harvard biologist Gerald Wald estimates that civilization will end within 35, 15 to 30 years unless immediate action is taken against the problems facing mankind. Professor Paul Ehrlich says, population is inevitably, uh, population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increase in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people every year will be starving to death in the next 10 years. Here's another one. Four billion people, including 65 million Americans, will perish in one great die-off within 10 years. This is, a, this is a university professor, Stanford University. Here's another one. 
Science has solid experimental and theoretical evidence to support the following predictions. In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air pollution. Air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the earth by one half. And then Dr. Stanley Dylan Ripley, S. Dylan Ripley, secretary of the Smithsonian Institute, believes that in 25 years, somewhere between 75 and 80% of all species of living animals will be distinct. Now, you know, what, it's, you know what's interesting? That, those prophecies, those predictions were made 40 years ago. <laughs> 40 years ago. How many know there are a bunch of false prophets? Come on, can I hear an amen? Actually, things are getting better. Come on, listen. Over, over the last 20 years, the proportion of people living in extreme poverty has almost been cut in half. That's worldwide. Just 200 years ago, 85% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. 20 years ago, it was 29%. Today, it's only nine that live in extreme poverty, with the majority of people, about 75% of people who live on the globe, live in middle-income countries. It's changing. The violent crime rate has been on a downward trend since 1990 in the United States. Just under 14.5 million crimes were reported in 1990. In 2016, that figure was well under 9.5 million. So it's going down. Here's another one. More than 35% of deaths in 1900, were caused by infectious disease. The number dropped to less than 5% by 1955 and less to 2% by 2008. Isn't that amazing? And then uh, early in the 19th century, 12% of the world could read and write. So here, in just in a, a, over, a little over a century ago, only 12% of the world could read and write. Today, 83% can do it. And then diseases. The control of infectious diseases since 1900 have saved lives more than the lives of more than 100 million children. And finally, just 7% of the world's population live in a free or relative society in 1850. Today, that number is closer to two-thirds of the world. So things are getting better. But, you know, there are some severe warnings about the future. There are some severe warnings about the future, about nuclear war, about terrorism, about a possible volcanic eruption that could affect the whole world, environmental disaster, lethal gamma rays bursting from the sun, agricultural crisis, political unrest. Some religious believers are saying if, 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 if things go different in the next election, there could be civil war in America. A global pandemic back in the uh, 19th 1918, the deadliest one in history, 500 million people worldwide, about one-third of the world's uh, planet's uh, population were caught up in that pandemic. So there are things to be worried about. In fact, when we look at what the Apostle Paul said, he said this. Listen to what he said. He wrote to Timothy, his young cohort, and he said this to him. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, 
traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, let me just say this about prophecy. Let me just say this for a minute. Paul made this prophetic word about the last days. But some prophecies, you see, not just simply seek to predict the future, but they want to change the present. Let me explain what I mean. In other words, it's not just about the predicting the future. It's given in the hope that it will change the present. For instance, let me give you what happened with Micah's prophecy. In Jeremiah 26, verse 18, it says, Micah of Moresheth prophesied that in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, he told all the people of Judah, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Zion, that was God's people, will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound of overgrown with thickets. But listen, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favor? And did not the Lord relent? And so he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them. And amazing. Here's the prophet. And he's saying, this is what God's going to do. This is what's going to happen. It's, it's written. God told me. And then guess what happens? The people feared the Lord. They realized, hey, we've got to get our act together here. God forgive us. And guess what? God changed his mind and didn't destroy it. Look at Jonah. Here's another great example. Jonah is a great book. It's only four chapters, but it's full of so much truth. But then it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Proclaim this message I give you. This message was right from God. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is what God's telling him to say. This is what the future holds. Nineveh, it didn't say if you repent. It didn't say anything like it. It just said in 40 days, you guys are toast. Guess what happened? They repented. They even put sackcloth on the animals. I mean, they were humbled about it. And then it says, and when God saw, verse 10, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Wow. Isn't that awesome? So when we hear about the future, we may hear that maybe things are going to be rough. And, and, and because we know America has turned away from God in many ways and lost some of the roots that we've had in our nation for years, it doesn't mean that God necessarily is going to bring discussion. But it can change if we are willing to trust God and repent and turn to him with all of our heart. Can I hear an amen? So what will the future be? What will it be for our world, our country, our city, our families? I want peace. Do you want peace? Come on, do you want peace? I want peace. That's a good thing. We believe in peace. I want peace. So if so, then let's be peacemakers. Can I hear amen? Here's what Jesus said about peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Children of God. So how do you become a peacemaker? How do you make peace? I just want to give you three simple ways to make peace. Number one, entreat it. What's it mean to entreat? It means to pray. Pray for it. Pray for 
others to find peace. For instance, pray for our nation. Every day at 6 o'clock, I have a timer that goes off, an alarm on my phone that goes off to remind me that I'm joining many, many people around the country. And we're all joining together every day at 6 o'clock when that goes off. And we're praying for our country that God's going to bring peace and unity and he's going to restore and he's going to do all these things. It's a reminder to do that. And here's what we need to do. Not only pray for our nation, our state, our city, our friends, and our family. We need to pray. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, not just the ones you like, for kings and all who are in authority, because that even means presidents, okay? That what? That we may lead a quiet and, say with it, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. See, peacemakers pray for our nation, our leaders. Pray for everybody. Why? So we can have peace. God wants peace. Because when there's peace, then the gospel's not hindered. It's amazing. When war rips through a land, there's, and when there's no peace, the gospel is hindered. That's why Christ came at the time in the Pax Romana. It was a time when the Romans had conquered most of the then known world. And the roads were open. They could travel everywhere. And the gospel spread throughout the then known world as a result of what they called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And it was an opportunity for the apostles to travel and preach the gospel everywhere. And we need to pray for peace. In fact, when God exiled the children of Israel to Babylon, the famous saying, you know, I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah is speaking as the Lord speaks about the plans he had for them. But along with them, look what he said. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For it is peace, you will have peace. In its peace, you will have peace. They were in Babylon. This one wasn't Jerusalem. This is one of the most idolatrous, wicked, occult cities in the world. This is Babylon. And God's telling them, you pray for the peace of that city. Because if that, peace, if that city has peace, then you'll have peace. And we need to recognize that. God has made his agents of peace. You see, we can change history. We can pray. Miracles of peace and deliverance have happened throughout history. And we can pray and see a miracle. One of the greatest miracles, they just made a movie about it called Dunkirk. It was an amazing film. And it, it, it literally, they call it the miracle of Dunkirk. Because what happened in 1940 under the Nazi uh, armies and Hitler's uh, horrible uh, leadership, they pushed the British army, 300,000 men, up against the sea there in Dunkirk. They were surrounded on three sides. And, the, and the, the officers in the, the Nazi army, they're saying, we're going to annihilate the British army. We're going to destroy them. And they, had, they, they were trapped. But you know what? King George VI, he called a day of prayer. Can you imagine? The king says, go to church. You start praying. The churches were packed. Lines outside the church the whole day crying out to God. God, intervene. God, do something. God, do something. Help us. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? The weather started to change. Not only did their cloud cover come to keep the Luftwaffe from strafing and killing the people, but the sea began to calm. And then an amazing thing happened. Hitler told his armies to stop. 
To this day, historians are quizzed. Oh, they're, they're, they're in the comedy. What? Why did he do that? Nobody yet knows why he did that. But for three days, the armies of the Nazi war engine stopped. And then across the sea, 800 boats came from England and loaded almost all 300,000 of those British soldiers, and they escaped back to England. It was a miracle. Where did it start? The people of England filled the churches and began to pray. I believe we can pray and see peace. Amen. And then you can pray peace for yourself. You know, I appreciate that Pastor Katie was just being frank, and I'll be frank. We're all deal, we all deal with anxiety. It's, it's a human thing. Even Apostle Paul, he, in his one, he says, when I came to this place, without was, were terrors, within were fears. He even admitted he was going through anxiety. And, and because, you know, it's interesting, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, today, th something like 38% of girls ages 13 to 17 and 25% of boys have anxiety disorder. It's a plague in our time. But here's what the Bible tells us, how we can pray for ourselves when it comes to anxiety. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer. And petition with thanksgiving. Remember not, don't ever forget to be thankful. Can I hear an amen? Mm. Present your request to God. And what? The peace. Wow. You know, can I tell you? You know, some people, you heard this old thing, you know, I'm believing for great things. How about just believing for peace? Okay? <laughs> I believe you, God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, it'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus. I love this statement. Peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but rather the confidence that he is there with you always. You know, they did this contest. Years ago, there was a man who, who, who looked everywhere for a painting that he thought would portray peace. He looked everywhere. He couldn't find it, so he put on a contest and, and offering a prize to somebody who could paint a picture of what peace looked like. And all these, these things flooded in, and the judges went through all these paintings. It got down to two, and everybody was kind of waiting with bated breath. And they, they pulled out the second to the last painting, not the winner. And it was this amazing kind of a pastoral picture of a, a beautiful quiet lake and, and, and sheep laying in and a beautiful sunset. And, I mean, it was just that most pastoral, just the perfect picture of what you imagine, peace. But that was in the winter. And then he pulled out the next one. And the next one was this painting of this huge waterfall cascading down. And, and, and it was so chilling, you could almost feel the chill in your body when you looked at it. You just saw the spray coming up out of this waterfall. And the you could imagine the thundering sound it was making. And then there was this spiny little tree that was leaning one of his branches out over the waters, almost like the mist was touching it. And there in a corner in the wedge there, the elbow of one of those branches was a little nest that a mama bird had made. And she was sitting on her eggs as peaceful with her eyes closed as if she was in heaven. And that was the one that won. 
Because that's the peace that God gives. And when you have that peace, it doesn't matter if the whole world is roaring about you, if it's shaking and scaring you today because of that. Here's what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you, John 14. So my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. George Moore said that. Amazing. Think about Peter. He's about to be executed. His friend, James, has had his head chopped off. He's going to be next. Guess what? The night the angel came to deliver Peter from prison, guess what he was doing? He was sleeping. The angel had to wake him up. I mean, that's the kind of peace I want. Can you say amen? Number two, how to be a peacemaker. Not only treat it and treat it, but seek it. Don't just entreat it, but seek it. Go after it. And the first way you can go after it is by you making peace with God. You know, if you're at peace with God, that's, that's everything right there. Look at what 2 Corinthians says. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's word, God's work of making things right between them. Between who? We're speaking of Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. You know, I remember when we used to do ministry on college campuses. and It was during the anti-war movement, during the Vietnam War. And we would go on the campuses, and, and it would be chaotic. They'd burn cars, and they were breaking windows. And it was amazing. I remember they had a big anti-war rally one day, and some uh, Christian evangelists came to our campus. They were really radical guys. And they were up preaching in the free, free speech area. And some of the, some of the uh, uh, people started shouting, kind of protesting, kind of, kind of trying to resist them, talking about the war. And I'll never remember. It was a woman evangelist. She looked out at that, those people and she said, what about your war with God? And, you know, that's the problem. We don't have peace because we've, we've got something against God. We, we're not willing to surrender to God. We're at war with God. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Now since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in his promises, we have real peace, real peace with him because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You see, we need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. Uh, I love it. You see, when we feel distant from God, when we feel angry when we think God is against us. That's when we need to come closest to him because he's for us. But we have to let go of the things that have made war. See, don't carry the weight of your sins. Don't, don't, let, that, don't let that burden you down anymore. One pastor in New York City, his offices were near, were near downtown New York, and he'd have people come to him and so he said, let's go out and walk. And they would walk out to where the uh, famous building was there. It was in New York City. It was on Fifth Avenue in front of the RCA building. And there's this huge statue of Atlas holding up the world. You've probably seen it. And it's a kind of a myth, right, that Atlas holds the world up. And he points at it. And he said, you know, you could be carrying all the weight of the world, your sins, your worries. You could be carrying all those. But he said, now walk with me. And they go across the street to this chapel there. It's the chapel to the young Jesus. 
And there's a statue of Jesus there as a young boy, maybe eight or nine years old. And he's holding the whole world in his hands. You see, we can either carry all this weight of our sin and be at war with God and not having peace, or we can say, Lord, I give you all my worries, all my sin, all my selfishness. I make peace with you. God, you just take care. You hold me. Can I hear an amen? First Peter says, whoever would love life and see good gaze must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. And to be holy without holiness, no one will see God. Now, see the Lord. Holiness is not living in a hole. All right? It's not going to some monastery and hiding away from the world. What holiness is, in other words, it's to literally set apart completely to God. Give your life to God. Quit fighting with God. My favorite author, John Ortberg, puts it this way. I never read this before. I just sat and went into my research. He said, it's kind of like your heart. There's two ways that you can accept Christ. Two ways to receive Christ that people do. Number one is like you have a committee in your heart. And in your heart, you have a committee. And there's your uh, social self, your private self, your work self, your sexual self, your recreational self, your religious self, and others. And you invite Jesus to join the committee. Come and be on the committee. You know, I, I, like Pastor Todd said when that guy confronted him, he said, Todd, you have, a, you have a religious self, a Todd self, and a God self, right? Yeah, two different ones. Well, you can have a whole committee in your heart. You say, okay, Jesus, come join. You can be part of the committee. But that's never going to work. He said the real way to do it is to say, Jesus, my life isn't working. Please come in and fire the committee. Every last one of them, I hand myself over to you. See, making make peace with God is getting rid of the idols in your life. Finally, number three, making peace with God. Now making peace with others. Excuse me, part two of part two. I'm sorry. With others, between others. Listen to this. This is, this, is, this is profound, but listen, please. Verse 18 of Romans 12. Don't quarrel with anyone. Be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. Wow. Don't quarrel with anyone. Even your wife. <laughs> I saw this amazing video, I just because I'm doing research on this, and I saw this amazing video. In Vermont, there's a Republican candidate and a, and a, a, a Democrat candidate, and they're running for, for office up there. And one's very staunch Republican, one's Democrat, and they're talking about you know what they're going to do and all that. So they had a big debate. But at the end of the, they asked the, the moderator, at the end of the debate, would you give us a few minutes? And what they did, literally, the, the Republican got out a guitar, and, and the, the uh, uh, Democrat got out a cello, and they sat down and did a duet together. They made music together. It so touched the community that literally people were putting both signs on their lawn for both candidates. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I love it. You see, you can't have peace with God if you have bitterness towards other people. Here's what it says in James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
do not boast about it or deny this. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, and peacemakers who sow in peace. What? Reap a harvest of righteousness. I never knew this. In fact, I think a few weeks ago I, I, I came across it when I was teaching our Sunday morning Bible study that uh, there were two incredible uh, enemies, Jefferson and John Adams, two of the founders of our nation. They had been friends for years, and then they became political enemies, and they quit talking to each other. They wouldn't correspond. They, were, they hated each other. And then Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was also one of the signers of the Constitution, uh, of the, uh, the, not the Constitution, but the Declaration of Independence, he was sleeping one night. And he had a dream. And in this dream, he sees Jefferson and Adams begin to reconcile and begin to write letters to one another and begin to make peace. And so guess what? He wrote both of them. And he said, I saw you guys in a dream. And you were reconciling. You were writing letters to one another. And he was so excited about this. So he sent the letters. Nothing happened for three years. And then finally, three years later, Jefferson didn't. John Jefferson wrote a letter. And then back John Adams wrote to Jefferson and said, Never mind it, my dear sir. If I write you four letters to your one, your one letter is worth more than my four. You and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. And you know what was amazing? They both died the same year, three hours apart. July 4th, 1826, 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. They both died the same day in unity. Isn't that amazing? You see, there was a man who had a dream, a dream of peace. And we can make peace. We can bring people together. We can be a peacemaker. And then finally, not only entreat it and seek it, but speak it. Can you say it? One, two, three. Speak it. The power of your words. We were with friends. We had a reception at our house. We do it every Christmas. And a friend we've known for years came over to our house. And he lives up here on the Twin Peaks Mountain. He's a nice place. They raise horses, and they're amazing people. He's a, he travels all over. He's a, a computer engineer, brilliant guy, programmer. And he said, you know, I've lived up there a long time. And, and my kids, when they were younger, they were roaring up and down. the. There's a road that goes up. It's kind of precarious in places. And they were roaring up and down the road, either bikes or motorcycles or something, roaring up and down. The, and one day, my neighbor, who did, I never met him, my neighbor came running up. He, he was running at me. And he was so angry, he was, his face was a rage, and he was running at me. And he said, the only thing I knew, I said, I, when this guy gets here, I'm going to punch him out. Because that's what he felt rising up in him, this thing, to punch him out. But something he said, he, all of a sudden, he heard the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said this to him, try something else. And so he reached out his hand in a big smile. And welcomed him. And immediately, the rage went away, and they ended up being best friends. There's something, he said, I believe that it was a smile that did it. The Bible says, a soft word turns away wrath. 
We can speak peace. Here's what it says in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who bring new good news, who proclaim what? Peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, God, your God reigns. In other words, every time you share about Jesus, you are speaking peace. We can be peacemakers by sharing the good news. Luke 10, 36, go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Jesus is sending his apostles out to preach the gospel. He said, carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes nor salute no one on the way. And into whatever house ye enter, look at this. First say what? Peace be to the house. And if your son of peace will be there, and if the son of peace will be there, your peace will rest upon it. If not, it shall return to you again. Just going to close with this story. We make peace by entreating it. We make peace by seeking it. And we make peace by speaking it. And we can be peacemakers. How many want to be a peacemaker? You know, they just did a movie about Mr. Rogers. You know, it's funny how people kind of made fun of him as being kind of a corny person. And yet one of the most famous actors in the world portrayed him in the recent movie they did about him. And there was an Officer Clemens. I don't know if you remember Officer Clemens, an African-American. For over 25 years, he played Mr. Mr. Clemens, Officer Clemens. He was the first actor in a leading role on children's television. And he was going out on a limb because he didn't like police. He said, I, my idea, I grew up in the ghetto, and my idea with police were, you know, they would sick dogs on us and spray us with water hoses. And I didn't want to play a policeman because I had a bad attitude towards police. But I took the role anyway. And so for 25 years, he played a policeman. And all of a sudden, he began to see this amazing love in Mr. Rogers, okay? He began to see that. One day, in one of the scenes, you'll never forget it, Mr. Rogers was cooling his feet in a pool. They had like a little tub that was like summertime, so he'd taken off his shoes. He invited Mr. Clemens, to, uh, uh, Officer Clemens, come sit beside him. He said, I looked down, and there were his white feet, and there were my brown feet side by side. And it just touched me so deeply. And then he said this. I want to read it to you. It's amazing. That day, Rogers wrapped up the program, as he always did, by hanging his sweater and saying, you make every day a special day just by being you. And I like you just, because, just the way you are. But this time in particular, Rogers had been looking right at Clemens. And after he finished, he wrapped over, walked over, and Clem Clemens asked him, Fred, were you talking to me? Are you talking to me? And he said, yes, I've been talking to you for years. But today you heard me for the first time. You see, we can speak peace everywhere we go. Now I thought, what would be a good way to end today? Can we stand together?